You're listening to the World Champion in Life podcast, where we discuss ways to live your life to the fullest. Each week, we interview leaders in the areas of health, wellness, finance, and fitness. Now, here's your host, Brett Fenton. Welcome to part two of our episode three with John Will. Hope you enjoy. Well, I think I have seen a lot of people. Um, I mean, I've known two billionaires who have very sadly suicided. Mm. So clearly money doesn't help. And there's been a lot of studies that that have done on that. Money has almost no correlation. uh, There's no correlation rather between having a lot of money and being happy. There are plenty of people out there who is happy as hell and they've got very little. They live very simple lives or very frugal lives. Now, it has been shown that if you're living in poverty, that's miserable, then a little bit of money can radically um, increase your level of happiness. But beyond once you get your act together and get your head above water and you're cruising along, more money just generally means more drama. Mm. So I'm, I'm not driven by that. Um, I, I was a little bit, I guess a little bit overreacted to, I mean, I spent very little time thinking about it. When I say getting yourself financially squared away, I think that's that's really important and it's because it's part of, let's say, the larger umbrella of self-defense. Mm. Like people talk about self-defense and they think they're going to be attacked, but you're much more likely to be attacked by stress um, money dramas and things like that than someone with a stick in the street. For sure. So to not square yourself away with regard to that, you know, not put away 10% of everything you earn and do that and then reinvest um, the interest and all of that. To not do that um, is to deny, is to, is to not look at a whole part of self-defense. So to me, it's weird when people talk about, yeah, I'm training for self-defense and they do that for 30 years, but... They're, they're, they're letting themselves be attacked with stress and financial considerations and these kind of things every day. Mm. But they're not defending themselves very well. Um, and, and that one thing that they're practicing for never happens. Yeah. <laughs> the physical, you know, attack. So I look at it like, a, like, like life as a, I want to be able to defend myself, but holistically. So with that being said, I'll put some very small part of my brain onto my financial stuff. Now, I don't know what that is. Let's say it might be 5%. It's pretty low. But even that works, you know, if you do it strategically and carefully and focused, you know, you know what you're doing. Um, so I think I think it's kind of like that. So I, I tend to stay very focused on, until something's up and running. I got that squared away, you know, and that's enough. I don't need to overdo it because then I want to free up my attention to look at another part and then do the same thing. So, yeah, I I think we need to be holistic about, you know, um, things and our approach to self-defense. And uh, so that's why the financial thing is only, it is only important to me to the point where I know I'm safe. Yep. You know, literally, and I know I'm safe. So I'm no longer driven at all by that. I, I couldn't give a hoot about that anymore yeah um, no worries but if, yeah but if you if you if you don't give a if i didn't give a hoot at 30 you know there was a there was a, a part of my life where i had to really care and so i had to work a lot mm-hmm. save a lot 
I had to go and seek advice. You know, I paid for financial advice um, and I'd rather pay for it rather than take most financial advisors. If there are any who listen to this, they might like my, my opinion on this, but mm. most financial advisors, particularly a few years ago, they would only give you financial advice based on what was useful for them, meaning they'd get trailing commissions and they'd get you involved, you know, into their superannuation fund. That's not advice. That's no. salesmanship. Yep. So I make a distinction between someone trying to sell me a product and true advice. True advice is, I, if you ask me for advice and I want to give you advice, that advice should be impartial to the point where even if it hurts me, I've got to tell you to do it. Because that's advising you for what's best for you. Yep. Right. So someone might come to my school and say, I want to do this. I want to go in the Olympics. What should I, what should I, I want to join up? I should say, well, you're not going to go to the Olympics training with me. You need to do Taekwondo or Judo or wrestling. You know, mm. you should go down to the Judo guy You know, I sh- or the Taekwondo guy. And I should advise them because I care about, you know, they've asked me. Yep. my opinion I should give them the opinion whereas traditional financial advice would be like oh no I'll look after you <laughs> you know and it's not really looking after you so I paid for mine I found someone and said I'm going to give you $2,000 you're never going to see me again tell me the truth and he spent a few hours doing that and I made notes and I followed it and did it and that was easy and then I kind of forgot about it because it all became automated that's a, that's what you want to do yeah I'm lucky enough last week we um I interviewed uh, Matt Patty from Complete Wealth in Canberra. Just happens to be mm-hmm. my best friend for the last 30 years as well. Mm-hmm. And um, he's been instrumental in basically helping me to get all of the financials of, of my business and of my personal life all kind of squared away so that um, I don't have to worry about it so much in the future. And um, like obviously, like anyone goes through financial issues when I was going through that. He was the, the lifesaver for me. So um, taught me all about money is emotion and to try and take emotion out of it. So that was very important. And um, yeah, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Um, 10%, it's all I need to put aside. Well, I was, I was really fortunate. I didn't know it at the time how fortunate I was, but there's a guy called Robert Kiyosaki, you might have heard of him. Yeah, know him well. Uh, rich dad, poor dad. I spent two weeks with him about uh, 35 years ago. Before everyone knew him. Before everyone knew him. When he was a skinny Hawaiian that invented the Velcro wallet. (laughs) And he came out to Australia and he was teaching this thing called Money and You, which was like a seminar. Nothing to do with money. It was all really about like you and knowing your purpose and all of that stuff. Very kind of Buckminster Fuller-ish, you know, so interesting guy. But he came, I was working at a health resort part-time, you know, teaching people to abseil and do all that kind of stuff. And he came along for a week, so that's where I met him. And um, and that was really good. And he said to me, why don't you come along, do my course for the weekend? So I did. And then I did it the following weekend as well. And um, yeah, and I look back now and a lot of the things he said really impacted me. I didn't know it at the time, which is kind of like a perfect example of sometimes you, some of your biggest influences in life are not so much the amount of time you spend with someone, but the quality of it. Absolutely. You know, you might only you might only meet someone once or twice, uh, or only spend a week or two, but you, they can be hugely influential. Um, and he was for me in a way, and he told me a lot of stuff that helped. He told me, you know, things like your your first home is not an asset, which hurt because I didn't even have a home. <laughs> 
and, and, and thought that my first home was difficult to get. So he said, no, nah, you've got to get the first home and then you've got, to, you've got to pay it off as much as you can, as fast as you can, put all your money into it. You've got to rent out the two rooms in the back and get someone to, you know, you've got to sleep in the laundry, which I did, slept mm-hmm. in the laundry, got a couple of tenants um, and paid it down really quickly over about three years. Um, not all of it, but a fair way down. And then it, by that time, it doubled in value. And so then I, I ended up selling that and then buying another one and a deposit on another one. And then, and then it just grew from there. Yep. But he and he said, you know, save 10% of everything you earn. Read Richest Man in Babylon. He gave me that book to read, mm-hmm. which basically says, you know, save 10% of everything you earn. I had difficulty doing that because um, it was challenging. I said, that's going to be pretty challenging because I don't earn any money or much money. He said, okay, let's not do that then. Let's learn to live on 90% of everything we earn rather than saving 10%. <laughs> which is which is exactly the same thing, but that I could do. Like, because yeah, that's a challenge, right? Okay, you can't save 10% because that's like a discipline, but can you live on 90%? Yes, I can. And Absolutely. I did that, you know. So, th- and there's lots of things he said. Um, so, the other advice was... One of the first distinctions you need to make uh, in life is the distinction between fact and opinion. You're yep. going to come up against all kinds of opinions. And if it's a person in authority spouting that opinion, your instinct is to see it as a fact. And that is hardly ever the case or rarely the case. So most people, it's just opinion. And then, so the importance of making fine distinctions is one of the things that he talked about. He talked about lots and lots of stuff, um, finding your purpose in life and all of these kind of things and how to know that you're doing that. Really, really interesting character. Yeah. Now, nowadays, he's quite different. He seems to be just into sales and making money and stuff, which is kind of weird because that's not what he was about way back then. Um, I like the old version. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I've seen him. He's just doing um, a lot of like um, keynote presentations and going and doing the summits a lot and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, I haven't been and seen any of his stuff in the last 10 years, but I did go and see when he was coming into Australia 10 years ago. It was very good. Um, mm. But um, well, I, I had a similar experience with um, uh, Grandmaster Dennis Brown in Washington. And um, I went to a summit, uh, like, you know, martial arts business summits, like Super Show, where mm. he was presenting and I listened to everyone's spiels. You know, we've been to plenty of them over the years and most of it's all BS and it's all sales mm. tactics. And... Um, He's the only guy I actually listened to and went, wow, he's got something to say. So I went back to his school uh, during the week when I was living, when I was in um, DC and sat in his office for three hours. I got 10 times the amount of information that I got from three days sitting in lectures. And so for me, that that made a whole big difference in the way I ran my, my school and my business. And that was over a decade ago. So I can pretty much attribute my success in my school from that conversation in that room for three hours. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There are a hundred ways to, to run a martial arts school. Obviously, you know, um, you can run a giant numbers and you can run a hole in the wall, private lessons one on one, and you can, you know, you can do it so many ways. There's no one right way, but mm. you have to. Each of us has got to find the way that. The way I think the way that does a few things. The way that like feeds our passion. Um, it's easy just to run classes and go the commercial route and wake up one day and find that you know you you're burnt out that's really easy to do i've seen a lot of people do that 
Uh, so I think it's really important to be, if you're going to do something, to do it for a long time. And if you're going to do something for 20, 30, 40 years, you have to be very careful about the way you do that. Mm-hmm. And it has to be sustainable. Um, you know, and for me, that's just, you know, eight hours a week at my school. That's it. Yeah. Six, six to eight hours a week. Um, and that's sustainable for me, right? So you can do 40 hours a week, but, you know, don't be surprised if you burn out. And then, and then weirdly enough, start to fall out of love with the thing that you love. Because many martial artists begin, not martial artists, like lots of people, they, they say, I should monetize my hobby. I love fly fishing. It's fantastic. I get a lot of pleasure and joy out of it. What if I start guiding? And they don't realize the drama that that's going to bring with it. You know, instead of going to that stream one day and the other stream the other day and exploring over the hill the third day, if you're a fly fishing guide, you're going back to the same stream five days a week, 20 weeks in a row. After about three weeks, you just hate it. You know, and it's sad, isn't it? Because you started out thinking, I'll make a living out of the thing I love, and in the end, you hate the thing. So I didn't want that to happen with my martial arts, so I was very careful about it. And I'm still, so my approach is very selfish. I'm on a, I'm on a continual experiment with my training, and it's whoever wants to be in that laboratory and join my crazy experiments with me is welcome. Yep. Uh, it's not serving up what the people want. I, I've not done that. I've chosen not to do it. No, I'm not going to serve up what you want. I'm in there cooking weird things, uh, making weird stuff happening and trying stuff and thinking things through. And, and if you are happy to be in the kitchen with me and try all that, you're welcome. And that's, that's fun for me. Absolutely. It's, it's about creating a tribe. So, and it's your tribe at the end of the day, you, you're the person that wakes up in the morning with the stress of your business if you don't like it or you wake up in the morning excited to go to it if you like it. So um, you might as well um, dictate the direction it goes in and I'm very big on that as well. So if I'm not happy with something, I just change it. And if people complain, that's, that's okay. They can complain, but um, I have to be the person that's responsible for everything in there. So um, yeah. these days, the only classes I really teach, unless I have to, unless it's like instructors are sick or away on holidays, um, things happen occasionally. I'm only teaching jujitsu classes, and that is it. Because for me, um, I, I love doing that. It's fun. Um, I've taught the other ones for twenty something years, and I, there's no need for me when I have multiple black belts to do it. So, and I teach private lessons only to those that I go. You know what? I really like spending that much time with you. That I'll do extra training with you. So, um, yeah. And that that's fun. And the moment that stops being fun, I'll stop doing that. And um, I think I spend. 70% of my day these days is just managing and running the business behind the scenes, the marketing, the Facebook, Instagram, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You, you, you obviously blogs and all the other stuff that you like doing, the, the new doodling that you've been doing with your um, in your artwork, which is quite hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Hilarious is how I describe it. Uh, <laughs> I think the, yeah, I, like I started training in BJJ back in 1987 86, 87 was my first introduction to it. Uh, and, you know, since then, of course, it's grown. And people have kindly, overly kindly attributed, you know, the introduction of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu into Australia. And I've been asked 
a lot of times like, so how did you plan that? You know, what was your, how'd you go into it? When I didn't go into it with a plan. I don't plan hardly anything. So I, I, I went into it just doing what I wanted to do and following my passion. And, you know, I was curious and I woke up one day and looked behind me and there's a whole lot of people following. So sometimes, not sometimes, I think what happens a lot of the time with different things is the the person who um, people see or perceive as the leader of a movement isn't the real leader. It's just a person going where they want to go. And I, so I think actually it's, this, it's the next row of people under that person. So all the people who follow, those, those initial followers who say, who look at that crazy person doing this weird thing, because it's all crazy and weird, right? doesn't matter what it is. If, you, if you're the first one to do fusion cooking, if you're the first one to do music a certain way, or you're the first one to do BJJ or whatever, then you're just a crazy person going off on some weird tangent, you know, forging a path through the jungle. What's interesting to me is the first people who look at that and go, that's worthwhile doing. And so it's the second bunch of people that are following that first crazy person that I think are the real leaders, if you like, that get the movement going. Because each one of those people, you know, convince a whole lot of other people, this is worth doing. So I don't often think it's the so-called leader, the first guy bashing his way through the bush. I think it's the half a dozen people that are following him that are responsible for, you know, the growth of that new corridor. Mm, the early adopters. Yep, I, I think they're the ones, you know, um, they're the ones that are, you know, really where a lot of the um, accolades should go to those guys. Cool. So um, what's the future look like for John Will? What have you got planned for the next five to ten years? Oh, I, look, to be 100% honest, I don't plan anything. <laughs> well, when I say I don't plan anything, I, I've never been one for setting goals. I haven't set goals. I, I, I mean, I... I've talked about this before again. I, I, if I have to say something, I would call my goals fuzzy goals. It's almost just like taking a, a compass bearing when you're hiking. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a compass bearing. Okay, so I now spot a peak of a mountain, you know, 10K away or whatever it is. Okay, I'm going that way. I'm roughly going that way. But once I've done that, I put the compass in my pocket and I look at the ground right in front of me because that's going to determine whether I go around that lake, over that log, down that little valley, over that other little, right? So I don't stay focused on goals. Um, And the good thing about having a fuzzy goal or a rough sense of direction, it allows for a lot of flexibility and adaptability along the way because a lot of times when we start to head toward a goal, along the way we realize there's a better goal off to the right or a better goal off to the left. And I want to be open to that. So I'm not one for like planning out, planning things, hitting goals. I just never have done it. I've been much more in the moment, um, much more focused on what I'm doing and kind of surprised when I've blown past my so-called goals. Very good. So I've done that. And so with that, so to answer your question, I, I'm really just living my life. I mean, I guess, there's a couple of things that I want to do more of. I've been going to Europe every year for the last, I guess, eight or nine years. So now my wife flies over at the end of my little, I usually do a few seminars and things here. And after I've done that, she flies over and meets me. We've been to Italy and 
Greece and a few things like that. So I want to I want to do a little bit more of that, um, and maybe twice a year instead of once a year. Um, yeah, and, and just in, keep enjoying my training and keep doing what I'm doing, which is I really enjoy that. So it's more to me about hooking up with friends that I've known for a long time. Dave Meyer, you know him, yeah, over in the states, and Gil Melendez, and I've got a lot of good friends over over there, and so I'd like to, uh, you know go over there spend some time with them train those guys all that stuff's fun for me so I, I guess a little bit more travel um, would be on my on my radar uh, but no, no no giant changes yep. toying with the idea of writing another book maybe okay hmm. well, I'll look forward to, I'll be I'll be jumping on that as soon as you write, as soon as you publish it I'll be after it so <laughs> I don't read too many books but I've definitely written all written all uh, read all yours so that's um, uh, on my to do list when you brought it out, so it'd be, um, it'd be different. You know that you know the tail of Jeet Kune Do. Yep. Yeah. So tail of BJJ, something like that. Like, That'd be cool. So it'd be more be more of a philosophical and conceptual diary rather than it, not instructional. Yep. Um, so it's more of a diary, little drawings and philosophical ideas and just put together kind of organically without a lot of planning that's kind of the thing i'd maybe do just as a project for myself excellent all right john any parting pieces of advice before we wrap it up today for who uh for my audience so or for anyone like what, what um, anything like any gold nuggets out there that you've been keeping to yourself that you haven't released everyone not really i'm pretty open to sharing all right <laughs> Um, I think, I don't know, I'll have to say something. So be prepared to reinvent yourself and be prepared. Like people, why wait for New Year's Day? You know, do it every day. Um, every day or every moment uh, is an opportunity to re-look at things we've been looking at a certain way for a long time. But every time we look at it is an opportunity to look at it afresh. Because, because every day we're a new person. You know, very incrementally we're changing. So if I say to you, what kind of person are you now? Are you the same guy you were 10 years ago? The answer is going to be very, very different person. Oh, absolutely not. Well, that, so that had to happen, right? That had to happen bit by bit, day by day. So even though it's hard to see, we wake up every day, a slightly different variation of our former self. So therefore, when we look at things, it's an opportunity to look at it through new eyes. And I, I'm very, very aware of doing that every day. I do that every day. So I kind of like that because it's much more of a childlike approach to life. Um, so I would recommend that. that that's a, something I haven't talked a lot about, but I really recommend it, particularly for martial artists. You know, you're going in there teaching the same old thing. Are you? You might be teaching the same old thing, but you're not the same old person today than yep. the person who was six months ago. So it's an opportunity to just look at it again. Have a new look. You'll see something different. And then you start to do that off the mat with other stuff, with your relationships, with what's important to you in life. Have a new look instead of waiting for New Year's Eve. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. All right, because I know this young man will be listening devotedly to this podcast because he's a big fan of yours as well. So um, this, I'm just going to get you to give a shout out to young Billy, one of my young staff members in jiu-jitsu. Um, he's a big fan. But you, last time you were up here, you gave him some advice, and that was to save 10% of everything he earns. Do you want to ah. reiterate that again for him just so he doesn't forget? 
Oh, Billy, there you go. I do remember. Save 10%. I think I kept rubbing his head for luck. That's it. Um, yes, 10%. I mean, Excellent. the big 10% thing, it's a, it's a huge, it's huge deal. You know, you, it, the, the, the bad news is that nothing happens for a while. The good news is that lots happens when it does. <laughs> so um, the tricky thing is to become disciplined, even though you're not seeing, you know, big results in the short term. Um, but soon later on, there'll be a time where the 10 will turn into 20, the 20 will turn into 30, and the 30 will turn into 99, you know, and then giant things start to happen. So, but it's the habit, right? It's Absolutely. the habit, not so much the 10%. It's the habit of doing it so that then when you can afford 20 and 30%, you've got that habit, nothing, and then radical things start to happen. So you start with 10, start with five, but start with 10 um, because you can live on 90, Billy. I know you can. Excellent. Thanks, John. Uh, Look forward to seeing you when you come up here. It's not too far away. And um, we'll continue our chat in person when you get here. Have a, a great day and I'll see you soon. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on, Brett. No worries. My pleasure. Big thanks to John Will for joining us in Episode 3 for our podcast. Tune in next week when we interview Nick Doggerty from the USA.